Um, we are in this whole series that we've been looking at these last few weeks comes from Isaiah 9, uh, which I'll read for us here in a minute. And we've gotten pretty familiar with this passage in the last couple of weeks. And it's the prophet Isaiah speaking, looking to a day of peace and fulfillment and life. At this point, Israel, God's people, uh, have been ransacked and caught up in being overthrown by foreign governments, being overthrown by oppressors, mostly due to, as a consequence, to their own sins and rebellion. And so we see uh, Isaiah preaching and proclaiming and saying, you're still pursuing drunkenness, idolatry, worldliness in general. You have walked away from God, and so there is judgment coming. There is pain coming. There is something coming for you if you continue to walk in this way. But as the prophets always do, and God always does, even when he disciplines his children, he says, but there is hope. There is coming a day when there will be peace. When anguish and darkness and suffering and these things will be in the past because the Messiah, the promised one of God, will come. And that's what we're waiting for. That's what they were longing after. For us to be observed and celebrate this season of Advent and reflect and remember and re-engage with the promise of hope and peace and life and restoration and fulfillment that comes with Christ. All of that stemming from the return of Jesus, the Messiah. And so we've talked about in the last few weeks about he is the wise counselor, the wondrous counselor. The mighty God. These ways in which he serves us and leads us and provides for us in supernatural ways. Ways that only God can. And he does, does so through Jesus because Jesus is fully God. Ways that we are those above beyond what we can possibly understand or comprehend. And so today we're looking at the third list of names that comes from Isaiah 9. And Isaiah gives us the names this morning that it's a little bit closer to home for many of us, which provides for some of us a closer frame of reference. Yes, we also can has the potential for some discomfort and to deal with some thoughts and emotions that maybe we have lingering that I, I hope that this morning will help us to let go of some of those things and focus on the beauty and, and holiness and goodness of God in this season. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in uh, and get to work. So please do fire heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning's morning. This opportunity to gather and worship you and celebrate you and enjoy you. God, you've given us this season, that traditions have given us this time of year, this Advent season, where we stop and we can slow down amidst the busyness, amidst parties and shopping and this and that. This big built into the calendar every year to slow down and say, hey, remember. Hey, remember how good God is. Hey, remember how loving and just and kind. Remember that he does things that are amazing. Remember that he promised and fulfilled his promise of sending one who would free us from slavery and sin. And remember that he does those, does those in a way that was totally counter to what we would expect. He sends us amazingly. That baby boy crying in that manger would grow to be the one who would go to the cross and die for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the sins of the God, as we remember and reflect, even in these weeks as we celebrate and we reflect on these names of Christ, this prophecy from Isaiah that the day when there will be peace and restoration that will come through Jesus. And as we look at these different names, we see these different parts of his character, parts of his being shine through. We know it's not one to the exclusion of the other. We know that he has all these things all the time. And so when we go to you, when we call out to you, when we do things like this, when we lift up our voices in prayer, we can do so knowing we are giving the 
attention is more fully in character of God. Lord, you have a word for us this morning. You have something to say to us this morning. Because you're in control of all things at all times. So regardless of what our motivations were for coming this morning, regardless of why we're here, why we're listening to this, why we're holding this word, you have a reason for it. And so God, I pray that whatever distractions, whatever walls we might put up to, to not listen, to not pay attention, to not hear from you, God, push those things aside so that we can hear whatever truth is you have for us this morning. And let us not just be listeners and hearers of the word, but doers as well. God, we thank you and praise you for who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're about to be. And it's in us. We thank you and praise you. We pray all this because of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to read Isaiah 9 as a passage of the word. We're pulling this from, and then we'll get to uh, where I had you guys turn to John. Isaiah 9 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in English. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Bethlehem. But in the latter time, he was made glorious in the way of this, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them as light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spirits. Then the yoke of his burden and the staffs in his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, was broken as on the day of victory. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to halt, and every garment burned in blood will be burned as fuel to the fire. But to us a child a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish him, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord hosts his peace. So, as I said, when we're looking at these different names that Isaiah calls, Jesus looks at the Messiah in the coming days. We looked at the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. This morning, we look at, we're going to look at Jesus, the everlasting Father. Now, for those of you who don't have a church at all, that might be a strange phrase for me to wrestle with this week, I'll be honest. Because right after that, I want to make it very clear what we're talking about here, when we talk about the everlasting Father, we are not talking about God the Father in regards to the Trinity, right? We believe in one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This prophecy, what Isaiah is talking about here, he's talking about the Messiah, he's talking about Jesus, and he doesn't break in with the prophecy to go and talk about the Father. So when we talk about everlasting Father, we use this phrase a lot this morning, we're talking about Jesus. It does give us something to wrestle with, right? If you grew up in church, you know forever and ever, it's, it's God the Father, God the Son. Jesus has eternally been the Son, but now we're going to talk about him as the Father. God the Father has eternally and everlastingly been the Father. Jesus eternally and everlastingly been the Son. These are not learned or qualities for that. So how can Jesus be both Son and Father? Well, I want to start with talking about the word that he uses to describe Father, everlasting Father, because I think that helps give some light to what it is Isaiah is talking about, what he is trying to communicate to us this morning. That Jesus is the everlasting Father. Everlasting means he has no beginning and he has no end. We know that refers to Jesus. We know that refers to all three members of the gospel. We talked about last week how God, we said Elohim was in the beginning, right? In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. 
He made the beginning. He made the beginning with the beginning. He was before the beginning. He has no beginning. God is uncreated. That goes for Jesus as well. Jesus himself says in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, But when the mountains were brought forth forever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. David says again in Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Forever and ever. Everlasting to everlasting. God is eternal. In John 8, verse 56, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees. And he says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he could see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and if you seen Abraham, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This answer that Jesus gives to them when they question his presence and knowing Abraham had seen Abraham. That's a big answer from Jesus. It's two words in the Greek. It's echo ami. Again, I don't like to give you a lot of Greek you, but these are important phrases I want to give you. Echo ami. I, I am. Not I was, not I will be, not I'm going to be in five minutes. I am. When Moses was in the wilderness and he sees this bush on fire and the bush is actually consumed and he goes over to it and he hears the voice of God tell him to take off the sandals as he's standing on the ground. And Moses has this back and forth with God where God says, I want you to go to Egypt. I've heard the cries of my people. They are enslaved in Egypt and it's time for them to go. It's time for them to get out. It's time for them to go to the promised land I have for them. And Moses, you're going to be the guy. You're going to go before Pharaoh and you're going to tell him to let God's people go. And Moses fucks at that idea and he tries to get out of it. He tries to wiggle and make every excuse he can. And God says, okay, fine. Here's all your excuses. I'm going to fulfill all your excuses. You have no reason not to go. So go, Moses. And Moses finds through the last chapter. He says, okay, God, I'm fine. I'll go and I'll speak to the most powerful man in the world. Sure. But the people, the Israelites, what am I supposed to say to them? Who is it that I'm supposed to tell them has sent me? And God says, if you tell them, I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. And so fast forward, thousands of years later, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He was saying, I am the I am. This, of course, was how Abraham knew God. It's how the people of Israel knew God as Yahweh, as the I am, the ever eternal, ever outside of creation existence, is God. And so when so Jesus says, of course, I knew who Abraham was. Of course Abraham was glad when he saw my day because I existed before Abraham. I made Abraham because I am eternal. He is everlasting. He is eternal. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to fade away. He's not going to disappear. He's invested. He's engaged. He's here in our presence, in our midst, and not just today because we're in church, but every day, all day. The everlasting Father, the everlasting presence of God is the only constant in this world. As the old hymn by John Rupon says, How firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you, he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus in his Fear not, fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give you away. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stay upheld by my righteous and And the hymn closes with this line 
that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. We can sing that. We can know that. We can trust and believe in that because our God is the everlasting He promises to never leave us, to forsake us. He promises to be with us even to the end of the age. He is everlasting, which means he is reliable, which means we know, we know he is there for us. But what about this thing about him being the everlasting Father? Jesus, the everlasting Father, what, what do we do with this phrase? Now, I realize that talking about God as Father, even just brings up the concept of fatherhood in general, opens up different emotions and thoughts and feelings for many people, especially around Halloween. Because for some, this is, might be the first Christmas without your dad. Or it might be just another in a long list of countless holidays without your father due to any number of circumstances. But the fact that this word, this concept of father, sparks within all of us some reaction, some feeling, speaks to the importance and value and responsibility this role carries. Sociologically, you can look at the studies that have been done in regards to kids who grow up without having a father present. There are correlations to kids living in poverty, to growing up to live in poverty, addiction, unhealthy relationships, lack of education, crime, and go on and on. The role that the, this person helps father, whether or not you want to admit it because you put up barricades, barricades in your heart to protect yourself, it means something. It matters. And as I said, for many people, I understand it's a source of pain. And so when God then refers to himself as God the Father, he conveyed, conveys himself as dad, I understand how for many people what could be and should be this beautiful concept that draws us closer to God can be a challenge and stumbling. And why is it a challenge and stumbling? Because your father either left, was cruel, or passed away just as he present. Something about the relationship has been fractured and broken. And regardless of what it is that fractured or broke, that relationship at its core, at its root, it is grounded in sin. This is the natural flow of things that happens in living in this world post sin entering into the world. God gives us something good, a role and concept, the very nature of what a father is supposed to be. And because of sin, that role and relationship gets broken, gets distorted, gets, gets causes separation and pain. It's another example of how sin breaks into things, and this is why we wait longingly for the Messiah to come and restore what has been broken to go to battle with sin. That's why we wait for the wonderful counselor. It's why we wait for this wondrous, miraculous, wise counselor to give instruction and leading and guidance. That's why we wait for the mighty God, El Gabor, the hero, the conqueror, who will go to war and defeat Satan at the end. It's why we wait for the everlasting Father. Christ is our everlasting Father. He is the everlasting Father in the sense that He created all things. We touched on these verses last week, but they always bear repeating. Colossians 1, it says, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the everlasting Father because he is the creator of all things. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And this is where I'll spend the most of our time this morning. So as Christ lives, as Christ engages with this world, he does so reflecting God the Father to the world. 
So that when we look at Jesus, when we go to the Gospels and we see Jesus interacting with the world, Jesus is reflecting the godly nature of God the Father, including the nature and character of what a father is to me. We see Jesus' fatherly quality shown throughout the Gospels. And we see it right there in John 10. I told you I'd get there eventually. John 10, we see it down to verse 27. In John 10, 27, Jesus says this. My sheep I hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them up my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And check out verse 30. I and the Father are one. Jesus says himself. For all people think that Jesus really ever claimed to be God, and he ever really put that out there. Yeah, he did a bunch of times, so he really clear with Here's one of them. He actually said multiple times, it's one of those reasons the Pharisees are constantly trying to kill him, because what he was saying was blasphemy, if it was true. But it is. If you skip over to, verse, uh, to John 14, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, yes, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I cannot speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does this word. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe by the count of the works themselves. Jesus, we know you're special. Jesus, we know you're the Messiah. Show us the Father. Give us this glimpse. Give us, give us a little bit of the taste. Let us, let us engage with, with the Father. Jesus says, what do you think we've been doing this whole time? Of course, you've already seen it. If you've seen me, if you know me, you know him. Because I am our one. We're in together. We're united. And so whether it's the words I say or the things I do, Philip, I am showing you that I am the Father. I am united. See, the prophet Isaiah was called Jesus, our everlasting Father, who's once again proclaiming that the Messiah would be more than just a man. By saying that he's the everlasting Father, he speaks to the eternal nature of Jesus, which is something only a deity, only God could be, but also his connection to God, to God and his reflection of God on the earth. See, the people wanted a warrior, they wanted a king. They wanted someone who could go to battle for them. Instead, they got instead of just a king, they got a king of kings who would go to war for them. But not only is he united in a spiritual connection, that as God the Father is a father, and Jesus is united to him, there we see Jesus' fatherly attributes shine through, but we see it in his paternal character as we see it in the gospel. The patience Jesus has for his followers, where over and over again, his conversations like what we just read, over and over again, where he tells them he is the Messiah, where he tells them who he is and what he has come to do and how he's going to die and rise again. And over and over, he gives them very clear, as clear as he can, examples and instruction and teaching on what it means that the kingdom of God has shown up. And then over and over again, he goes right over the disciples' heads. Over and over again, Jesus has the patience to tell them the same thing over and over again. Think about a parent. You ever told your kid to put their shoes on before you're trying to leave? That patience that you got to have and say it 12 different times. We see it in Jesus with the disciples over and over. 
I am with you. I am the Father. The Father is in me. I am the living bread. I am the living water. Over and over, he tells his disciples, You see, Jesus, the times that he's interacting kids. At one point, the disciples are trying to keep the kids away. Jesus is off with the people. And the disciples are stopping the kids from coming to him. Because in that culture, kids were you know, not even seen or heard. It was just keep them out of sight, keep them away. Especially from a rabbi, especially from someone from authority. And so the disciples think they're doing the right thing. And Jesus actually scolds the disciples and says, Do not take them. Let them come to him. And he picks the kids up and he blesses them. He prays over them. In Luke 13, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and he's weeping over Jerusalem and over the status of where they are, he talks about how he wishes he could gather them together like a hen gathers her chicks. He gives this maternal, even maternal, and sometimes this, this care and comfort of the people. The ability of Jesus to be gentle and compassionate on the helpless, on the hopeless, on those who are lost and searching, and the patience and care and compassion. That motivates Jesus over and over in the Gospels and says he felt compassion for that means he had this pain, this, this urge in his gut to help because he cares for us. Jesus identified not only with the Father, but as a father. And so he did things that a father is to do with their kids, like interceding for them. If you flip over a couple more pages, go to John 17. Jesus prays. Jesus Here in John 17, it's known as the high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus that we have. And in it, when I'm going to read the whole thing, and he, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then I want to pick it up in verse 20 of chapter, of chapter 17. I do not ask for these only means being the disciples. I was praying about something new. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me. Where I am. To me, my glory that you have given me because you love me from the foundation of this world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I am. And these know that you have sent me. And they know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love of which you have loved me in them and I in them. There's a lot there that we have no time for it all this morning, but you can hear it over and over again. Jesus' prayer is for unity. And who he's praying for there, right at the top of verse 20. I don't pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's praying for the disciples, and he says, and I also want to pray for anyone who believes in me who puts their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who is forgiven of their sins, who come after the disciples. And you and me and everybody else, Jesus here is praying for us. Right here, Jesus is praying for you. We got his word. He's praying for us. And he prays over and over, almost in every sentence, Jesus is praying for a unity and a connection, not only for the believers, but for the believers and God, that they would be unified, that they would be connected to one another. 
that they would be united and bonded and stitched together in community, which we find in our core in the Spirit of God and in each one of us. He prays that we would be united together and united to Him similarly to how He and the Father are united and gone together. We've already talked about how Jesus said, I and the Father are united. We are one. I am Him and Him in me. And so when you look at Jesus, you see God, right? And so what Jesus says here is, I want in the same way that that relationship happens, I want them to be united to us. I want them to be united to me so that when the world sees a believer, they see me, that they can reflect my love, my grace, my mercy, my justice, my hope, my compassion onto this world so that others might come to know, and they can join in, and I'm praying for them too. Just hours before his betrayal, just hours before his arrest, just hours before he is tortured and beaten and executed, what was on the mind and heart of God was you and me. Dad, one of the best things you can do, one of the strongest, most manly, most powerful things you can do is pray for and pray over your kids. When they're sleeping, sneak in that room and lay hands on them and pray. When they're struggling, when they're getting ready to go to school in the morning and the brush your teeth, be praying for them. When they're struggling, when they're having a good time, be praying for your kids. Especially those little ones. Especially the ones who don't know how to pray yet. Pray on their behalf. Pray for their protection, for their provision, for their hearts and minds and development. Pray for them and over them. Jesus prayed for us and he continues to go to God on our behalf. Hebrews 7 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. Christ now, in this moment, is interceding for us on our behalf to God He is currently at work for us to the Father. In 1 John, uh, 1 John 2, it says that Jesus is our advocate. He advocates for us. He goes to the Father on our behalf. Why? Because He cares for us. He loves us and wants to protect and provide and bless us. That's Him exercising the role of the everlasting Father. To go to God on behalf of your children is to provide for them a protection and comfort and help that is supernatural. It doesn't want to be kids. Jesus shows his everlasting fatherhood in the way that he intercedes and advocates and prays for us. And the more and more I have thought about, the more and more I have thought on this idea of Jesus as the everlasting father, the more and more I have come back to the idea of the shepherd. The way that Jesus exudes this role of everlasting father, I come back to the shepherd. So what does the shepherd do? Well, if we look at probably the most famous and popular shepherd of all time, we look at David, right? When David is trying to convince King Saul that he should be the one to go battle Goliath, he tells him, here's my resume. I fought bears and lions by myself, and I'm still standing. Why in the world would he do that? To protect the sheep. A father protects his sheep. Protect your kids from pain. Protect your kids from bears and lions of this world. You do what you have to do to put yourself in between harm and your kid. And if we extend that further, we go beyond David as good of a shepherd as he was. He wasn't a good shepherd. So, what we know about the good shepherd that Jesus claims to be, that Jesus calls himself to be, we know in Psalm 23 that the good shepherd makes us lie down and get some rest. He cares about our physical well being. 
He provides nourishment for our bodies and our souls. He leads us not toward pain and suffering, but leads us toward righteousness. When you are scared and overwhelmed, you have nothing to fear, nothing to dread. The shepherd is not with you, but with you to protect and comfort you. He blesses us. He leads us towards goodness. And yet, even though that is who he is, that this, this our good shepherd cares for us, and all he has ever done is, is give us reasons to trust him, give us reasons to love him, give us reasons to follow him. He's done nothing but care for us, nothing but provide for us. He's given us no reasons to anything but trust him. We still find ourselves deceived and distracted and disengaged and disenfranchised, and we go wandering. And we walk away from the good shepherd, and we lose our way, and we ignore the way for our way. And when we do that, and we find ourselves lost and wandering, about to fall off a cliff because we're dumb sheep, he is the good shepherd who leads the flock to come rescue us. He values us, and he picks us up, and he carries us. He says, just take a beat, take some time, I got you. He treasures us, and he loves us. God loves you with an unconditional love, an agape love, the Bible calls it. Ain't never going to stop, never going to change, never going anywhere. I'm here no matter what kind of love. These are the things that a father is to be doing for their kids, to have a love that is tangible, it is felt, it is seen, it is heard, it is experienced. If you go back to John 10, we're going to close here. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This baby crying in a manger. This son of a carpenter from the middle of nowhere. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who protects and guides and teaches and leads and loves. That is what his dad is supposed to do. He loves so deeply that though we were caught in the jaws of something much worse than a bear or a lion, he put himself in harm's way. He dies so that we might live, and as he said, live abundantly, live in excess, live with your cup running over. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what a father does. He gives up his life for the children so that they might live abundantly. Jesus is for us the everlasting Father, still giving, still providing, still offering abundant life here and now. It is available to any and all who would put their faith in Him, to any and all who would admit their need for a Savior, who would believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, in your place, and who would choose God to be and choose Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Choose His goodness, choose His love, choose His leading as the Good Shepherd. Look, I understand that for some, between God and Father, it's tough and hard and messy. And all I can do is say, I'm sorry that that's your experience. I'm sorry that that's what resonates with you, your Father. And I would encourage you to not judge your Heavenly Father by your earthly Father, but flip that. I can only encourage you to go to the source, to go to the originator and creator and embodiment of the world to see what a dad should be and is. My prayer for us all is this is that what we do when we stop and we go to God looking for Him to exude those characteristics and qualities of being a father, which He is all the time, that you will find rest and comfort, even joy, wrapped in the sweet embrace of the everlasting Father who loves you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. God, this world is one for us that live on this earth is at times overwhelming and mysterious and hard. But we know that it's not those things for you because this is you. You made this world. This is what we want. This is not a learned love from you. You didn't have to just pick it up on the fly like so many of us do. You have eternally done love. And Jesus has eternally had these things in him. He has eternally showed us what a father looks like, what it means to be a father, to love like a father, to provide and protect and care, to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of someone else. That love that is unconditional, that is not based on a contract, that is not based on our works is not based on our actions, but it is based on a holy, perfect goodness of you. God, help us to remember that you are just remember who you are and rest in that and trust that. Because when it's dark and messy and it's hard to just live this life, it's so easy to get distracted, it's so noisy in this world, it's so easy to lose sight of who you are and where you are being. To help us to follow you, but even when we do mess up, when we do sin, when we do wander, when we do walk away, God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd who comes looking for us. And you're the dad who comes looking for us, of course. And you know how to deal with them. You know the times where we need comfort, where we need care, where we need just you to pick us up and carry us. We know those, you know, you know those times when like, the story is brought up the son and the father goes running to the son who for every in every way has, has rebelled and hurt his father. And that moment when that kid needed was to just be loved by his dad. You know those times where we need that. You also know those times where we need some discipline. We need some structure. We need, we need you to remember to remind us there are consequences to our actions. We need you to, to help refine and Grow us. Grow us. God, help us, help us to follow you and trust you. Because you've never given us a reason not to. You've never given us a reason to doubt the devil. Jesus, we thank you for, you for showing us what this Father will This everlasting Father will what it looks like and means. We thank you that that's the way you interact with us. That even before people do you, that's how you interact with this world. That even when you came to this world and they rejected you, you were still, even on the cross, loving and showing your passion. God, we need you to show compassion. We need you to show your power. We saw you just this weekend. We lift up those around Midwest who have a state by 20 years. Families have lost loved ones and lost everything. And so we need you to go be you. We need you to be that comfort and that provider and that protector and encourager to 